Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number six of Seeking Witchcraft. As always, I'm your host, Ashley, and today we're going to be talking about the different tools and terms that you may have come across in the witch world. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, just know that these podcasts are meant to be about 30 minutes or less, just basic informational videos about the different uh, witchcraft and Wiccan topics. Also, as a disclaimer and a reminder, I may use the terms Wiccan or Wicca and witchcraft interchangeably in these episodes. But I do explain why I do that and the differences between them in episode one. So don't be offended (laughs) if you uh, hear me use them interchangeably. I do address it in a um, previous episode. So as always, I'm just going to do some housekeeping before we begin. Um, So the winners of both giveaways have been announced. So congratulations to Erica and Sherry. I hope that's how you say your name. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be sending out your prizes soon. And if anyone is interested in um, seeing their Twitter or potentially seeing what they won, whatever gets sent out to them, um, you could check them out on Twitter at, I'm just going to spell this one, (laughs) S-H-E-R-E-E. F-R-O-E-L-I-C-H. I I don't want to butcher your name, sorry. And then um, for Erica, she is at the Opera Witch, all one word. I'm going to be hosting some giveaways in the future, so keep listening for your chance to win. You can also follow me on Twitter at SeekWitchCraft, all one word, um, to find out more information about giveaways as well as hints into future episode topics. Or you can just message me about what you want me to talk about in a future episode. Or if there's anything I talk about you want some more information, hit me up. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to talk about are going to be the different tools. And to begin, I'm going to talk about an altar, specifically your altar. (laughs) So what exactly is an altar? Okay, before I start, I want to clear up one thing about this word. The word altar is spelled A-L-T-A-R. It does not end in an (laughs) E-R. Now I'm starting, I'm not starting off with the spelling just to sound like a bitch. I I promise you, I'm doing this to try to save you from the headache of if you go online and you misspell it because you are certain to have insane amounts of people jumping down your throat for spelling it incorrectly. So remember it's alter with an A-R, not an (laughs) E-R. All right, now that that's out of the way, uh, what exactly is an alter? So an altar is the energetic center of your home. It's a sacred space that's dedicated to your practice, and it should definitely be treated as such. Um, But since everyone's practice is different, there's no set rules on what you need to have on your altar, or if you even need to have one to begin with. But if you do want an altar, or if you've seen pictures of different altars, I am going to be covering some of the standard tools you'd find on them um, later on in this episode. But aside from that, you might be wondering some questions about altars. Um, Some of the ones I was thinking people might want to know are like, what's the correct way to set up your altar? What shape should it be? Do I even need to have one, etc.? There's a lot of different controversy about altars, so this is just what I'm going to say. In regards to the direction, um, a lot of people like to have their altar facing to the north, but some people like it to the east. Others people, other people have theirs in the west, some to the south. <laughs> you can kind of see where I'm going here. 
There are people who like to face it in particular directions based on the properties the direction has. So for example, the south is associated with fire. So maybe if that's your element, you might want to put it in the south. Um, there's also tradition-specific rules that say um, where their altar should be positioned. But here's my take on your personal altar and the direction you should put it. Honestly, put it wherever the hell you can in a spot that's most convenient for you. This also kind of addresses how I feel about the shape of the altar. Use whatever shape and space that you have. Because listen, if you're like me, you don't have massive amounts of space around your house with unlimited options of where you can place and keep your altar. You know, if you live in a tiny studio apartment in the city, you might have to put your altar next to your pantry. Or, you know, if you live at home with people who don't necessarily know about your practice, you might have to keep your altar in a shoebox or even outside. When you're making your own personal sacred space, there really aren't any rules. If your intentions are pure and you've dedicated that area to the practice or to the gods, you know, if you're Wiccan, you can really use whatever you want. Don't beat yourself up if you cannot have a perfectly round table facing the north or the south or whatever direction that you're able to put it in. Now, the other thing is that some people say that you shouldn't put your altar in a space where there's a lot of movement activity, such as like next to a front door or to some stairs. But again, honestly... I say put it wherever you're able to put it. Don't worry about anything else. Uh, now, um, something, something that people might want to question is if they even need to have an altar. So personally, I think everyone who's in this type of thing should have at least some space where they're able to go to and kind of like call home in the witchy world, if you will. Most Wiccans absolutely have an altar as they do use it as a place to call upon the gods, but not every witch has one. And I want you to keep in mind, especially if you've seen all these pictures on Pinterest and Tumblr and whatever, your altar does not need to be some fancy table like you may have seen online with like a triple moon altar cloth and a dozen candles and all these feathers and whatever. It can honestly be something as simple as a space where you keep a candle, maybe you keep your incense or some sage there, your crystals, any divination tool. You can really make your altar as fancy as you like or as simple. So that, with that, if you're kind of wondering, well, what's Ashley's altar look like? <laughs> All right, so my altar is in the north, but I, well, I stand in the south, so, you know, take it however you want. Um, and it's on, it's on a small rectangular fold-up table that I bought years ago on clearance at Bed Bath & Beyond. So it is nothing fancy. Uh, I do have a veil that I keep over the table and then I have an altar cloth on top but honestly that's really just to hide the fact that the table is like pretty much all plastic Um, and underneath the table I actually do like to keep my witchy supplies and books. Um, Your altar is the energetic center or the spiritual center of your home so I love having my supplies just underneath the altar. Now if you can't do that that's fine I think most people don't keep their supplies underneath it but I don't have like a massive mansion where I can pick and choose every spot in my house. Every every inch of my house is pretty carefully planned out. So my altar had to go where it had to go, which was next to a staircase. And that's totally fine because it's my altar. <laughs> um, so I, you know, that being said, I have seen entire rooms that are based around a single altar. And I've also seen many altars with different themes and different places in a home. You know, really it's your practice. You could do with it whatever you want. Um, and the other thing is that even if you're involved in a particular witchcraft t- tradition or a coven, 
it's important to know that you can have your own separate practices, separate setups, rituals, whatever, that are separate from your coven and separate from your tradition. Don't ever feel like you can't deviate on your own personal supplies if you want to. The last thing I want to say about altars if you're going to have an altar, you absolutely need to treat them with respect. Um, in the same way that you wouldn't just fling your tarot card across the room, you want to make sure that you're keeping up with your altar and that you're treating it you know, as a sacred space. This means that you should you know, wipe away your old incense dust, um, keep it tidy, and most importantly, do not put anything on it that doesn't belong like your cell phone, your wallet, your keys whatever. And this is why I'm going to tell you guys this. So I had a really bad habit for a long time of putting my phone on my altar since mine is like right next to my steps. And I used to think like, oh, it's fine. It's just for a moment. Um, you know, sometimes I would put like other things on there, like the, like a shirt or like the trash I was going to take upstairs because it is right in a central location. And that table is right there and it was handy. Um, But after a little bit, I kind of realized that I was doing myself a disservice by doing that. I wasn't treating my altar like a sacred space. And I was allowing myself to say like, oh, it's fine. It's what's whatever, which ultimately diminished how I respected it, even if I didn't realize that myself. Now, I absolutely refuse to put anything on there that doesn't have a specific purpose. Um... The only odd thing I will say is that I do put my jewelry on it that I'm going to be wearing the next day to work um, just to kind of like, quote unquote, charge it overnight. (laughs) But even then, um, you know, I do that with a purpose and I I do say little things to the gods before I put it on there. So, yeah, that's my take on altars. Um, You know, if you want an altar, great. I hope you, you know, can find some of this useful. But if you don't have an altar or aren't able to set one up, it's not the end of the world. Um, But yeah. Okay, the next thing we're going to be talking about is a tool that is widely used and a tool that honestly, when I first uh, got into all this and started and like had to get one, it took myself a really long time to get used to using. So this tool is called an athame. Yay. (laughs) If you're wondering what the hell an athame is, um, even though I have mentioned in a previous episode, um, but if it's your first time hearing this word, Um, It's a double-edged dagger that's used to direct energy. You could also hear it being pronounced a couple different ways, such as athami, athame, you know, people kind of say it all these different ways, but you can really say the word however it sounds best to you. Um, Athamis come in a lot of different forms, so they can be completely made out of wood, or they can have handles made out of metal, or wood, or even wrapped leather. Um, most people recommend using wood as it's rumored to hold energy better because it is a nature-made material versus something man-made like metal. Um, but athamis can come in a lot of different sizes and a lot of different colors. So they can be really long and thin, or they can be short and stubby. The size of the blade doesn't particularly matter, um, so long as you're connected to it when you hold it. But you want to make sure you're not buying a gigantic sword at either. <laughs> Traditional thames um, will usually have a wooden handle that's black or brown. Either one's fine if you want to, you know, look at the different colors, but black tends to be more recommended and more popular. So thames are knives. <laughs> so you'll see people in a ritual setting just holding a knife. 
um, which can be a little intimidating at first. But I am here to tell you that athames are never, ever, 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 ever to be used to cut anything physical. And they're also meant to be used as a completely sacred tool. So what this means is that no... You can't cut somebody with it. (laughs) No, you can't use it as a letter opener. And no, you shouldn't stab it into the ground like they do in the craft in that scene where they like take the bus and they, you know, go into the forest and whatever. Yeah, they stab it into the ground and that should never happen. So keep that in mind. (laughs) If you ever do need to cut something in a ritualistic setting, you could use what's called, and I hope I say this correctly, a a bowling, bowline. Um, I won't really say much about these as I don't have any personal experience with them, but they kind of look like giant uh, pirate hooks. (laughs) Um, Okay, anyway, so (laughs) athamis can be used to help direct energy, which is really useful when you're doing things like casting a circle. And then once a circle is cast, you can use one to cut in and out if you need to exit while it's still up. Like if you need to run to the bathroom or grab more wine or may have forgot something for the ritual, whatever. Uh, also on the side as a pro tip, you should never (laughs) just walk in and out of the circle when it's cast. Um, but you know, maybe I'll do a future episode on virtual etiquette. Uh, let me, let me know what you guys think. Okay. Before I join my outer court, I want to let you guys know I personally had some trouble with the idea of using an athame. <laughs> uh, this wasn't necessarily because of like the danger, quote unquote, of waving a knife around the air with other people around and having them wave their knives in the air, <laughs> um, but because I had heard and seen them before and I didn't really feel like they were necessary, but I didn't really know too much about them and I thought it was just like a weird tool to use in witchcraft. But I got to tell you, now that I have one and I've used it many, many times, I absolutely see the value in using one. And I feel weird without it. Actually, at one point, I thought I lost it and I was like really upset. (laughs) And I was like, no, my Afame, because you kind of bond with it after a while. And then I finally found it. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so if you're looking to invest in a standard witchcraft tool that is pretty widely used, I would absolutely say go for an Afame. Depending on how elaborate you want yours to be, which if it's your first one and you're going to be getting used to using this, I would say don't go for the most fancy one. Um, they can generally range anywhere from about ten to thirty dollars. I think mine was like twenty. Anything above thirty will probably be a fancy one. Um, and if you have the means to do this, I would recommend buying your first one in person. As it, you know, it really sucks to think that you found a tool online that's like really pretty and you really like it, only to get it and it's like not something you're really bonding with and it's not the same um you know it's nice to get that athame hold it see how the length is see how it feels in your hand and it flows um you know you can't really do that online but there are some beautiful athames on etsy so if you do buy one online not the end of the world but just know that if you're able to get one in person i would absolutely try to do that Alrighty. The next thing we're going to talk about are brooms, and um, I'm going to probably butcher how you say this because I don't actually hear anybody say this in person, but this is our first term term I'm going to use. It's called a a besom, besom, well, anyway, it's another word for a broom. Uh, You know, a broom is used in witchcraft uh, to sweep away any negative or stale energy and to energetically cleanse a space before performing a ritual. Now, I think we all kind of know the historical background of rooms with witches and flying women, so I don't really need to explain that. 
Um, but yeah, not everybody uses a broom. So for example, I have a tiny handheld one that's like just the straw part and there's not really a handle that I like using it or that, that I, um, that's like on it, but I don't use it every single time. Um, I kind of just feel out like, does the space feel fine? Like, yeah, then I won't use a broom. But if sometimes like, you know, I haven't practiced in a while or just kind of feels kind of stale, I do like using the broom and sweeping shit out of the way. (laughs) Um, If you do want to use a broom, I would say to try to get one specifically for your practice. Um, The only reason I say this is because your normal everyday household broom that you use around your home probably has some remnants of dust and dirt on it. And you're not really going to want to use that when you're trying to perform some sort of sacred rite or ritual or something. Um, You do want to be respectful when you are calling upon this energy to, you know, perform the way you want it to. So (laughs) you want to make sure that you're not... Um, getting a lot of dust particles up in the air when you're doing that. Right, the uh, next thing we're going to talk about are cauldrons. So these are definitely not used in the way that Hollywood portrays them to be. (laughs) Um, Most people, when they use them, they'll use them by putting a charcoal disc inside just to burn incense or herbs for a spell. Um, Some people also like doing spells that like you need to burn paper like maybe you write something on it and then they'll um, drop it into the cauldron just for a safe space to burn while it's on their altar um but you know you might be wondering like are cauldrons necessary well that's really up to you i personally like the idea of burning loose incense in them but the problem is that you can't really hold them because they're generally made out of cast iron and the entire thing gets hot You know, this isn't necessarily a problem if you're just keeping it in one place, but you do have to watch to make sure that the bottom of your cauldron doesn't burn whatever it's sitting on, like your table, um, if it doesn't have legs. And even if it does have legs, those still get really hot too. Um, I, you know, a lot of people like waving incense around their room or wherever they're doing their ritual. So if you have a cauldron that you're burning incense in, this might get a little bit more complicated if you can't pick it up. Um, You can also put liquid inside of them if you're trying to make some sort of brew or potion but to be honest guys like it is cast iron (laughs) so it's gonna be a really big pain to clean it out once it's wet um plus they're usually pretty small and you know if you are trying to make some sort of brew or potion or mixture whatever it's honestly better to do it with like your real life kitchen equipment that way you can just really easily wash it afterwards and make bigger batches Aesthetically, though, cauldrons are pretty cool. (laughs) As I said, I do have one myself. Um, You know, if you're just using it to burn incense, though, I'd recommend, honestly, you get something specifically like that. Um, That way, if you have to pick it up and weave it around the room, you're not burning yourself. Um, Or, you know, you could just use the stick incense. (laughs) I love the stick incense, personally. Um, Yeah, so that's my take on cauldrons. Aesthetically, they're awesome. But functionally, you know, they kind of fail. Okay, the next tool I'm going to talk about are bells. So you can use a bell to help clear energy that's in your room. Some people like to say that it also helps bring attention from the gods, um, specifically the goddess. Um, But a lot of other people like using them to invoke um, elements and or just all the gods or whatever spirit they're trying to get in contact with. But, you know, like with almost anything in witchcraft, people have a lot of differing opinions on how to use them. Um, so like in a non-ritual setting, you can use your bells to cleanse your, your crystals with sound healing. So it's actually generally recommended that you do this as crystals are supposed to be, um, known as holding specific vibrational energies and bells can help to realign and cleanse those energies back into where they should be. 
Bells are also sometimes um, hung on front doors to help guide their or guard um, home and ward off any negative energy. My own personal practice, I do keep bells on my door. But you know what? <laughs> they are an excellent way to have some literal protection in your home because to you know, if anybody tried to break into my house, I'd hear them as soon as they open the door because there's a shit ton of bells on that there. <laughs> but on a serious note, I do like using a bell when I'm casting my circle and calling forth the elements. Um, I found that there's like a specific sound I like having my bell make that sounds just right to me. So I have to like clink it like a very, very specific way. Um, so if you have a bell, play around with it, see how you like using them. But again, this is really um, an optional tool if you want. You may see a lot of bells on Pinterest or Tumblr type altars, but you know, I don't see them as widely used as um, I would have thought I did. Alrighty, the next tool we're going to talk about are wands. Um, so wands and athames are pretty similar to the point where I would almost um, say that you can use them interchangeably. Almost. <laughs> but there are some differences between them. So first, an athame is used to command and control energy. It's a very masculine type of control. A wand, however, is a gentler tool that can be used to direct energy and invoke the gods. Um, a wand wouldn't be used to cut energy, but an athame would. I found this quote online about working with wands that I thought was really great. Um, and it pretty much said that when you're working with spirits, you wouldn't want to approach them with a sword or a knife, you know, and a thame, as that can be kind of off-putting <laughs> and that using a wand would be more appropriate and natural. And I was like, huh, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, so wands could be made out of anything and you can buy them online or, um, you know, you can go outside. I generally prefer wooden wands. Um, and I used to think that the best thing for using a wand was just a random stick that was found on the ground. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I do have a few random sticks in my house. Um, but I actually had a previous outer court member of the group that I'm involved with tell me um, that her belief was that wands should be taken directly from the source. So directly from a tree with permission, of course. Um, and the reasoning for this was actually like pretty awesome. Um, and it, that was because the, they believe that the wand would still have that spark of life from the tree within them. Um, and which did make sense in my mind, because especially if you were able to consecrate it, which is something we'll talk about soon, um, and dedicate it to your work while it was still alive, you can kind of just like contain that spark of life inside the wand. But ultimately, wands can be metal, crystal, wooden, whatever you want it to be, um, whatever feels right. If a random stick on the ground feels better to you than a twig that you pulled off a, a branch, so be it. Or so moto be. <laughs> okay. So the last part for the tools, I just want to name off a couple things you can find on your altar. Uh, I won't be going through them as I still have a bunch of terms to cover and the 30 minutes is coming up real quick. <laughs> but you can feel free to look these up and incorporate them into your practice if they seem interesting to you. So some of the tools are the following. I'm just going to name it off. Chalice, swords, libation bowls, plates, cups, crystals, feathers, incense, candles, some sort of cleansing tool like sage, palo santo, etc. Moon rotter, candle snuffers, flowers, deity statues, offerings, matches, lighter, salt, bowls of water, etc. <laughs> the list can really go on and on. Um, my personal altar usually is a good mix of all the things I've mentioned, but I don't have everything and I don't feel like you need everything. Um, to make your practice your own. 
Um, yeah. So uh, the other thing is you don't have to get every single thing at once. If you are trying to build up your altar, you can work up your supply little by little. So don't feel pressured that you have to get it all right now. All right. Finally, we're going to talk about the different terms that you may hear. Um, I'm going to be covering the ones that might be unfamiliar. Um, and to be conscious of the time, I'm going to talk to them fairly quickly. So if you have any questions about anything I'll mention, um, you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Seekwitchcraft and we could talk it through. Okay, first term is consecration. So this is the practice of essentially purifying and blessing of something to become yours. Um, Many people may consecrate their tools to get rid of any old energy that might be stuck onto them. Plus to claim it as your own. Um, Consecration is really common in the witch world and something I'd recommend you do with your tools like your thames, crystals, your wand, (laughs) etc. All right. Diocel and Wittershin. So Diocel means to move clockwise as the sun moves. Um, So when you're in a circle or performing a ritual, you should always walk Diocel as that is the direction that energy moves. You should never, ever, ever walk Wittershins, which means to go clockwise. Um, Diocel is also how you will address the different elements. So air to fire, water, or yeah, air to fire to water to earth. Okay. Drawing down the moon. Um, this is both the name of a book, but also a ritual. Uh, this ritual is usually um, practiced by advanced practitioners and involves invoking the goddess into you. So definitely some high-level stuff. Um, next up is a year and a day. So this is a term that you may be hearing or you may hear being thrown out a lot. I think I've probably mentioned it before myself. Um, generally, when people talk about their year and a day, they're referencing a period of time that they've formally been studying um, witchcraft or a specific tradition um, and that usually they're saying that they're within a year and a day because they're literally talking about that time frame. Um, there's alternative history surrounding this phase it's, or phrase that's not necessarily related to witchcraft, but there's always also a story of a goddess who needed a year and a day to perform some sort of task. And if you're interested in that, uh, I would say Google that because that's an interesting story. <laughs> Okay. Grove. So this is something that you have probably heard me say before as well. Um, but for those who are not sure what that is, um, this can be used as another name for an outer court in a coven. So like with myself, I'm currently a Grove member um, training with a gardenerian coven. Not everyone uses the term. Some groups also use Groves to talk about their covens, but my experience is usually used for an outer court term, which leads me to my next uh, term, outer court versus inner court. So an out-of-court generally makes up people who have not yet been initiated into a specific tradition, but are training or associating with that coven to potentially become a future member. What this means is that once you've been initiated into that coven, you are an official outer or inner court member. Um, and with most traditions, outer courts will have similar rituals, um, spells, rules, trainings, etc. as inner court, but they are different. Inner court usually has initiate only specific ways of doing things, um, which of course are only available to initiated members. It's important to note though that not every coven has an outer court um, with the specific purpose of training members before they undergo initiation. Um, the ones that usually don't have an outer court are most likely an eclectic coven. Um, but to my understanding, pretty much every traditional coven will have a training group before initiation. And this is not only just to orient you to the practices and just get used to how they run, but to also get a chance to see if the group is the best fit for you and for them and to see if you're able to develop a friendship with these people. Outer courts are also great at weeding people out who are 
not necessarily as serious in their dedication, but also to help people understand that maybe the timing that they're trying to do this might not be right in their life. So just because one outer core at a specific time period in your life doesn't work out doesn't mean that that same group can't work out for you at a different time. Um, I kind of talked about this, but what's the difference between an initiate versus a seeker versus a dedicant? <laughs> well, a dedicant is somebody who has formally proclaimed that they'll be formally studying the craft, usually for the period of a year and a day. Some people will perform a dedication rituals while other uh, dedication ritual while others don't. Um, then initiation or an initiate is somebody who has usually completed some form of training and undergoes a sacred rite or ritual to join into that coven. That a seeker, someone who is seeking out to study in a particular path or maybe involved in a training group for that path. So for example, I am a seeker in a traditional gardenerian coven. Um, so that means I'm in the outer court and I have not yet formally been initiated. Oh my gosh, there are two minutes left. So I'm going to rush through this. But if I go a minute or two over, my bad guys. <laughs> um the next term I want to talk about is libation or for somebody to libate something. Um, this usually means that somebody will give part of a food offering to the gods or to the spirits if they're, uh, that they're trying to contact during their ritual or spell. Uh, Left-hand path. So this is using magic for personal gain. Um, I ha- personally haven't come across people saying this term too often, but I have seen it sometimes. So I guess it's important to know. Uh, sometimes people like to talk about love spells being part of a left-hand path because you are essentially essentially attempting to control someone's thoughts and feelings. But yeah, it's a, it's a whole conversation for another day. Um, Skyclad. If you've listened to previous episodes of mine or looked up some traditional coven, um, or tra- yeah, or, you know, you might just already be familiar with this term. But if you're not, uh, just a reminder, Skyclad is ritual nudity, or rather, um, you know, being naked while performing a ritual or spell, etc. Um, some traditional practices do follow the Skyclad traditions, while others may have it optional or may completely nix it from the practice or may only do it during specific spells or um, times of the year, etc. You know, we've all heard the idea of somebody dancing naked under the full moon. Well, in this case, they would be a Skyclad. The Wheel of the Year is the next term. Um, again, this is something I've briefly touched upon in another episode, but the Wheel of the Year is a celebration of the eight Sabbaths. Um, I am going to be doing a future episode on this, but for now, the eight holidays, which do have alternative names as to what I'm going to say, are Yule, Imbolc, um, Imbolc sorry, <laughs> Astara, Beltane, Litha, Lamas, Maven, and Sam- or Samhain. All right, the last term is a neophyte. So this is somebody who is brand new and just starting out with their practice. Um, some groups like to use this term exclusively to talk about their members who are in their training period before their initiation, while others don't use this term at all. So for example, in the group I'm with, I've never heard anybody refer to us as neophytes, even though we technically are or were, or whatever. Okay. Yay, I just hit the 30 minutes. (laughs) So that's all I have for tonight. Um, Thank you to everyone who's listened to today's podcast. Um, Please be sure to hit me up on Twitter at SeekWitchCraft, all one word, to tell me what you want to hear in a future episode. Or if you just want to chat, I love the messages you guys have been sending to me. You guys are all seriously so sweet. And this podcast wouldn't exist without you. (laughs) So definitely get in contact. I love talking to you guys. Um, But yeah, I hope you all have a great night and I will talk to you soon. Bye. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.